1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, a cavalcade of B.A. stars today. I'm John Manuel, joined by Nathan Rohde, otherwise known as at B.A. High School. Connor Glassy, at Connor Glassy, and Jim Callis, B.A., just Jim Callis to his wife and friends, uh, joining us on the uh, phone from Winnetka, Illinois. So welcome, everybody, to the podcast, and let's just dive right in and talk a little bit about uh, college baseball and the draft for 2011, really more the draft than anything else. Uh, Jim's got draft fever. Jimmy just uh we we wrapped up our early draft preview in our college preview issue. And uh you know, Connor and Nathan, you guys have been seeing guys from last summer gearing up for the 2011 draft. And we're all going to go see some uh, some games today. Uh Jim, the, the first storyline of this 2011 draft seems like uh you both have you have both star power and depth and it's especially it's usually a good draft when you have college position players and college pitching depth. And it seems like you have both of those in the 2011 draft class.
2: Yeah, I think we've got everything. I mean, not maybe not position by position. You, know, you wish the, you know, maybe the college catchers and college shortstops were a little bit better. But, I mean, you've got college players. You've got high school players. You've hitters. You've pitchers. You know, most of the time when, you, when I talk to scouting directors at this time of year, you know, trying to figure out how the draft crop looks – or even the previous summer, you know, when you're talking about the draft crop, you know, it kind of divides into two two groups. One group will be, ah, it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't really worry about that. We've just got to get the best players we can. And then the, the the other camp usually will say, oh, you know, not that great a year. Wish the talent was better. You know, every three or four years there's a crop that really seems to, you know, have people say, you know what, this actually is a good crop. We get some ambient noise there with some golden retrievers in the background. There. Oh, right. <laughs> but... Uh, Barking at something, but uh, but this this is one of those crops. I mean, guys are saying this is better. They think it's going to be better than 2008, which had a great group of college hitters with Pedro Alvarez and and Buster Posey and Gordon Beckham and Ike Davis, and you know, maybe the best since 2005, which I don't know if it's a record, but I was looking at this. Of the 31st-round picks, 26 of them have already mm-hmm. played in the big leagues. Wow. You I guys have <laughs> like Justin Upton, Ryan Zimmerman, Ryan Braun, Troy Tulowitzki, McCutcheon, Bruce, Ellsbury, Garza, Erasmus. I mean, it's it, – anyway, that, that's probably the best in recent memory. And I've even had guys tell me they think it might be better than 2005 because you're know, going into – heading into 2005, while people were optimistic, you know, Ryan Braun wasn't Ryan mm-hmm. Braun. You know, Jay Bruce wasn't Jay Bruce. You know, these guys weren't the players, you know, that they've become. You know, they were they were intriguing. They were first round potential guys, but they they weren't as exciting as they proved to be the following June. And and I think especially from a college pitching standpoint, it's the deepest draft I can remember just in terms of the, the college arms. I mean, you almost have more guys who are college arms who, can, who qualify as top ten talents then you have actual top 10 picks to take them on.
1: This class on the college pitching side, Connery, I know you didn't work here at the time, but this reminds me of the 06 college pitching class where that draft was perceived as a bad draft going in, especially compared to the previous year, but the college pitching in that draft was so strong. Even when a guy like a Luke Hochaver or Andrew Miller haven't worked out, you still had Tim Lincecum. I know he's down a little bit right now, but Jabba Chamberlain certainly made a splash. Uh, you know, Max Scherzer, that, that 06 draft was... Pretty, uh, this p- college pitching in that draft was very strong. And you had Evan Longoria at the top, who to me is quite analogous to Anthony Rendon. But it seems like this class, um, has some depth on that college pitching side, but also on the college position player side. And, and you know, obviously we're going to get on, on high school in a minute uh, with both of you guys. But on the college position player tip, uh, besides Rendon, where do you, you know, how do you rate this draft compared to the last couple that you've covered here?
0: I mean, I'm impressed with it. You got you got to like outfielders, you know. There's some exciting outfielders with Springer and Bradley, but those guys are great athletes. I mean, I've you know heard that Jackie Bradley is one of the best defensive center fielders in the draft in a long time. Yeah, and I love then, the
1: Mark Kotze comp on yeah. Jackie Bradley Jr. It, it makes sense. I mean, I, I could see him being a center fielder and a really solid big league player for a long time. And like Kotze, he won a national championship as a sophomore. Uh, you know, he's He's a good hitter, but he's not like an exceptional hitter. But it's all around skills that what make him, you know, so interesting. But who are some yeah. other guys going But, I mean, there's just,
0: there's a little bit of everything. There's, you know, athletes with five-tool potential. There's sluggers. There's, you know, great defenders. It's just a really deep class overall, both college and high school. I mean, I was talking to a area scout the other day that said, usually, you know, you really want to get that first rounder. He's like, I'm going to be lucky if I get a second rounder this year. That's just how deep it is. Right, you know? right. Some of those second rounders you're going to get this year could have been first rounders. In previous years. And so. Nathan,
1: it seemed, I mean, both you guys have seen a lot of the high school class, but your BA high schools, I'm going to start with you. It doesn't look like there's necessarily a slam dunk high school player who's for sure going to go in the first 10 picks. That college, if you go into the first 10, it looks like eight of our 10 are high, our college guys. But that doesn't mean the high school class is necessarily down. It just doesn't seem like it's top-heavy, I guess.
3: Is that a fair characterization? Well, I think with the with the college crop that you have this year, it kind of pushes out some of the high schoolers a little bit because the high schoolers run a little bit higher of a risk. But, you know, at the top of our high school list, while we don't have that slam-dunk guy that's, you know, number one, like uh, Manny Machado or Jameson Tyone, there are plenty of guys up there that fit the characteristics of being a top guy in high school. Uh, You know, the pitching this year is really deep. It's not quite the same as it was when we had Matzik and Turner and Wheeler and all those guys. That was a special year. 2009 was a special year for high school. That was a very special year, especially because of the number of left-handers you had for high school. This year it's very right-handed heavy, but still very, very good. Most of our, you know, top ten prospects right now for the high school side are right-handed pitchers. Now you can say, you know, the the high school right-hander is pretty common, but these guys are pretty good. So I don't think it's quite on the same level as the years Matzik and those guys, but uh, it approaches that. It's certainly above average, I right. would say. Right. Is
1: Francisco Lindor maybe in my mind? Maybe I'm overdoing it because of the position. But when the fact, one of the things Jim talked about is, you know, we and Jim and I, I'm sure we'll talk about this more as the podcast go, podcast goes on. But a lot of good college second basemen in this draft, guys you can hit and should be able to stay in the middle infield, but they'll be on the right side. Colton Wong stands out in my head, or Ryan Wright, some of these guys. But you don't necessarily have that college shortstop. And Francisco Lindor is a shortstop, and he's got a chance to hit him. I mean, do you guys, the three of you guys, I mean, is he the high school guy most likely to break into the top ten because of that, or do Archie Bradley and Bubba Starling because they have higher ceilings? Uh, And to me, their football commitment makes me almost wonder how they're both committed to play college football I mean, obviously they can be bought out, but Glendore seems like he's got maybe more of a safer bet to go in the first 10 picks. Am I wrong in thinking of it
3: that way, Nathan? I don't think so. I mean, I think Glendore definitely, you know, you can lean toward being that safer guy because, you know, of the high school shortstops this year, you guys say, you know, he's the one that is most likely to stay at the position. He's very smooth, very athletic, uh, very good defender, but he can hit and he can hit from both sides and he's got surprising pop for a guy uh, of his size. Uh, you know, I hate I hate forcing comps, right. but he doesn't have the arm of Rafael Furcal, but he's got kind of that electric part to his game. You know, he's a smooth defender, you know, from both sides of the plate, and he can hit, and sometimes, you know, he'll surprise you with his power. It's not going to be part of his game, but he can certainly hit the, at the top of the lineup, and right. if you sleep on him, you know, he'll hit it out.
0: Actually, the the player that he kind of reminded me of this summer, and I got to see both of these guys this summer, was... Jerks and Profar. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of a similar build. Both switch hitters. Both, you know, fluid defenders. Maybe not the rangiest guys, but, but smooth out there. And just the way that they present themselves. Both are all. You can always tell they love being on the field. I mean, Lindor is always smiling. He's been Team USA like backbone for the past couple of years. Right. Profar's the same way. You can, I mean, he just loves the game. And- yeah, that's
1: what seems like that's what makes Profar. Profar is yep. good tools, not explosive tools, but good tools, smooth, and then that kind of Elvis Andrus-like love, uh, passion for the game, natural leadership qualities, all that kind of stuff yep. on the field. Lindor's story to me, Jim, I mean, we're going back a little bit because you and I are old, but <laughs> his story kind of reminds me a little bit of Felipe Lopez with a lot better makeup. But Felipe Lopez was, I believe, Puerto Rican as well. Moved to the Orlando area in high school, was the eighth overall pick in 1998, I think it was, the Blue Jays. Switch hitter, offensive ability, the makeup is what kind of wound up moving him off shortstop. And he had a very long career. I mean, he's still trying for a big league job this year. He's been in the big leagues for the better part of the decade. Seems like Lindor almost a better version of Felipe Lopez.
2: No, I think that's fair, and I mean, he just, he stands out so much this year, just even among the college shortstops, like you were alluding to, I mean, the best college shortstop, I think, heading into the season is Levi Michael in North Carolina, who hasn't played the position yet in college. I mean, guys think he can play shortstop, but they aren't, you know, they they, they want to see it, and, you know, and I don't think he's his all-around tools quite compared to Lindor's. So I think Lindor, I'll, I'll go with your line of reasoning there, John. He might be the best bet to go in the top ten. Although I think in the end it all comes down to signability. I mean, you have the two college quarterbacks, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure that David Meter is representing Francisco Lindor, and David Meader is the same agent you know, who got the the huge contract for Nick Castellanos last year, and Nick Castellanos dropped into the sandwich round uh, to to get the bonus he got, you know, three point four five million. So, you know, it's, it's early to know about signability on these guys, but that ultimately may determine which high school guy goes in the top 10 or which guy goes first.
1: That's a good point. Let's go right quick to the top of the draft. Uh, I don't want to brush over it too much. I I think when you're talking about the 2011 draft class, you have to start with Anthony Rendon. I can't remember a guy coming into the draft, Jim, with Rendon's injury history. I mean, granted, it's not like he's had Tommy John or a shoulder injury or something like that, but a guy to come into the draft as, to me, the undisputed number one talent who's had Such a little summer exposure and with his injury history. Two straight summers with ankle injuries. Last year was almost a Tim Crumry looking injury, uh, again to date ourselves, uh, with his ankle getting hurt um, with USA uh, Baseball. But I had a scouting director tell me in the fall, like, he couldn't believe how good Rendon looked with a boot on his foot. He take a BP with his foot and, you know, restricted with his ankle on a boot and he was still crushing balls yeah. with the new BB core back. Back leg, too. That's yeah. Really crazy. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, so it sounds like this guy's, I mean, is comparing him to Evan Longoria too much? Is that overdoing it? Or is that, that seems pretty fair when you watch this guy swing the bat and see the whip and just the thunder in his hands and wrists.
2: No, I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of scouting directors are making that comparison. Uh, I mean, if you want to really break it down, you know, Longoria might have had a little bit more Raw Power and Rendon might be a little bit better hitter. Uh, You know, they're both good defenders at third base. But, I mean, that's the comparison you hear the most. I mean, there have been a lot of, you know, premium third basemen taken at the top of drafts. But I think Longlorian's the best comp for him more so than a Pedro Alvarez who's more of a power, less athletic guy, uh, more than a Ryan Zimmerman who I think has exceeded offensive expectations a little bit, at least as a pro, you know, he was number four pick in the draft. But at the time, you know, everybody raved more about Zimmerman's glove than his bat. Um, you know, I, I think he's a better comp. Longoria's better comp than say Alex Gordon. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of scouting directors are making that comp. And, and I do think, as deep as this draft is, I think, you know, he, he's not like a Strasburg lock to go number one. I mean, that was a rare case. But I, I do think, as deep as this class is. I think right now if the draft for today. He'd be the number one pick.
1: Yeah. To me, the most logical contender for that otherwise is Garrett Cole. We have Cole two, Matt Perk three. I love Garrett Cole. One of the things that we've got in the office that we're going to post hopefully today as we're recording this podcast is this uh, video that Connor's put together of our top 10 college and our top 10 high school players with two separate videos. But one thing that just stood out to me, guys, uh, in that college video, is just how ridiculously quick Garrett Cole's arm is. Oh, yeah. It is fast. It's a
2: blur. <laughs> it's, a, it's a
1: blur. And especially, it looks like the kind of, when you talk about like a little guy who throws hard, and they have those little whip quick arms in the back, Garrett Cole's like six four two ten, 210, and he has that same quick arm. And I guess at the part, Connor, that has me on the Garrett Cole train uh, sorry for that, I didn't even know I was making a Coltrane reference, but the thing that puts me on, on top of Garrett Cole is uh, how Aaron Fit has talked about his maturity that he's seen over, you know, Cole had a bad reputation out of high school as kind of a me first player, and you read the feature that Aaron did on Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, and you hear Aaron talk about sitting down with Cole for an hour and talking with him and the kind of uh, team first attitude that he has now at UCLA, to me I can definitely, as good as Anthony Rendon is, Garrett Cole looks like he has number one potential, number one starter potential. I mean, do you think that's think, a stretch? No, I don't think that's a stretch at all. I
0: mean, you, you know, that maturity is huge, and that's obviously a big component, but just his stuff is, is good enough, and his size is there. I mean, when you combine all those things, that's, that's what you're looking for when you're looking for a top-of-the-rotation guy.
1: I'm not trying to put down Matt Perk at all, but to me there's separation there between Cole and Perk. Perk just has a little bit of funk to him. It's not just the hat off to the side. It's the low slot. He just doesn't – I mean, he's almost built more like a Randy Johnson, tall, skinny like that. I mean, Garrett Cole just looks more typical. He's, uh, the,
3: he's the kind of guy that, you know, if you wanted a number one right-handed pitcher and you had to draw him up first, yeah. you know, that's the frame you would You're look right. at. So, you know, and then you, Perk might, you know – yeah, the Randy Johnson is a good one, but people might still have Andrew Miller back in, in the back of their minds. That would scare some people off. I like Perk better than that, but you know, there's always going to be that little. You kind of he's got that skinny frame, so you might think maybe he's frail. You know, for every
1: Randy Johnson, there are a couple Andrew Millers. Yeah, exactly. The tall, skinny guys that don't work out. That's actually a pretty good point.
0: And then there's Chris Sale that got to the big leagues. You know, right after his the draft. There's another one. So yeah.
1: another another fine point, and uh, Perks breaking balls definitely regard his reputation and the co- the competition he faces at a different level than the perception of uh, of Sale, who still is kind of a split camp for some people. And, and then Jim, we've got George Springer at four on our list. Uh, I mean George Springer is pretty unique. Uh, first off, you don't get too many guys who are going to be in our top five on list who struck out 74 times the previous summer. Uh, previous spring. Number two, there aren't too many guys in college baseball that we've seen over the years have had that combination of power and speed.
2: No, I mean that's the thing. I mean most of the time your athletic, you know, position players get snapped up out of high school. You know, which, which wasn't the case with Springer. And you know, I, I don't think. I, I mean, right now I wouldn't say he'd go number one, but I think he's a dark horse for that number one pick, depending on how the, you know, depending on how things played out this spring. I think you got to discuss him in that mix a little bit. You know, he was a low round pick out of high school. I think 48th round by the Twins. And you're right. I mean, you don't have too many guys coming out of high uh, coming out of college where you're looking at him and saying, "Oh, that guy might be a 30-30 player." Uh, I-, I can't think of the last legitimate one we really had. I mean, you might have to go back to JD Drew. He is He's the, the only
1: 90s. 30-30 player in college baseball history, Division One. Well, no, I didn't
2: mean in college. I just meant his potential 30-30 guy as a pro. Oh. I mean, you just don't see that many college guys. Usually, the guys who are athletic and you know and have the the five-tool potential, you know, pro teams pay to sign those guys out of high school.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biggest the biggest thing that's been lacking in college baseball over the last few years, uh, in this guerrilla ball kind of era, has always been speed. You know, nobody runs. And average speed in college baseball is below average speed in pro ball. Yep. And George Springer just stands out. And I I said this when we looked at the video, and I didn't think of it last summer, but his swing evokes Ryan Braun to me. And Ryan Braun swung out a lot, struck out a lot in college. But this, you know, Ryan Braun was an infielder in college as well at the U. But he wasn't a great shortstop, and then he wasn't that great of a third baseman. And Now he's a bat first left, uh, left fielder. He's always struck out a lot. But he has such electric, electricity in his swing, and George Springer does too. And, and George Springer runs effortlessly. And just because he didn't play center field much last summer for Team USA doesn't mean that he can't play center field at the big league level because it just tells you how good Jackie Bradley Jr. is. Those guys are so different uh, as prospects. Now, I'm going to give Aaron his props again here. He was all over Jackie Bradley Jr. last year. <laughs> yeah. He was his pick-to-click in the college preview issue. He stuck with it after Jackie Bradley Jr. injured his hand during the year. And then Jackie Bradley Jr., to have the year he had after having a hand injury or in the season, it's kind of ridiculous. Guys just don't do that. Um, I don't know if anyway, we've had the cop say comp. I don't know if Jackie Bradley's – as sexy as some of the other players are, but he's like the safest pick almost to me in the college ranks. If he ran above average, uh, I think he would be in that mix at number one, to be honest with you guys, because, I mean, he's not as electric as these other guys. I think the fact that he's only an average runner is the biggest almost knock on him, because it's harder to profile him maybe, Nathan, as a a top, you know, first five picks overall. But there's
3: there's not a negative to Jackie Bradley Jr.'s game. Right, yeah. Guys that are just average runners... There will be some reservations as to whether he can, you know, stay in center field because, you know, scouts and the pro guys really like that center fielder that can just burn right. and absolutely go after and get it. Now Bradley has uh, incredible instincts, which makes his defense play up, right. which obviously you know will help him early on in his career. But you know, how much will that affect him down the road? Is he going to go from an average runner to maybe a tick below as right. he gets older? Maybe he gets a little stronger, bigger whatever, you know, I think that's kind of what's holding him back from being in that discussion of number one. But like you said, the all-around package is pretty good, and, you know, it's, it's almost one of those maybe the sum is greater than the total of the parts. That's how I think of him. And
1: he also could be a guy who gets affected by the bats this year. We'll see. He does not – I mean, he's always been a guy who picks – he has good offensive instincts. So he picks his pitch and will tee off and take a much bigger swing. when he, He'll sell out for power. And if scouts see him selling out for power with these new BB core bats and it doesn't leave the yard, you know it wouldn't surprise me if his draft stock took a little bit of a tumble because he doesn't have blow you away tools. It's 50s and 60s, and that's the guys ahead of him are not like that. Uh, Sonny Gray, who we have just ahead of him, is not like that. It's it's potential 270 pitches with his uh, fastball and breaking ball. Um, you're talking about Taylor Youngman. I know there's some there's some effort. There's a little head whack, one of our favorite uh, phrases in, in his delivery. But uh, the stuff and the results have been very good, very consistent for two years for Taylor Youngman. Um, let's talk personal cheese balls, my, one of my favorite phrases. <laughs> guys, uh, guys guys who maybe aren't top 10 picks now, but I uh, don't have to be in our top 50. Jim, is there a guy who you couldn't squeeze maybe in the top 10 or 15? It's a little bit further <coughs> down the list who you really like, maybe better than what the scouting consensus is?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think our list doesn't necessarily reflect the scouting consensus because I think what you were just saying about Jackie Bradley, I think most teams probably have him a little lower than we do at number seven uh, for the reasons we just laid out. I I think Jed Bradley, maybe. Jed Bradley was very good in the Cape Cod League last year. He's left-handed. He's got quality stuff. He has, you know, he doesn't have, you know, Garrett Cole stuff, but I mean, Jed Bradley might have as good of a three-pitch mix as as any of these pitchers we're talking about. He's left-handed. He's got a good frame wouldn't surprise me at all if, if we saw Jed Bradley jump up. Uh, you know, we have him ranked 12th right now, if Jed Bradley won the top four or five picks. Is
1: he, there's not as much separation between him and Matt Perk maybe as we've uh, been led to believe or as we might, might think.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, and, you know, as we said about Perk, I mean, I think Perk, you know, we have him ranked where he should be at number three, but, you know, some guys will will bring up the low slot. He gets a little slingy, and, you know, you got the Andrew Miller comparisons out there that that maybe worry you a little bit. I mean, I had one scouting director tell me he'd take Bradley over any of the pitchers, including Cole, in this draft. Uh, you know how it is with pitchers. I mean, it's. I think it's very easy to say in a lot of these guys, oh, I think that guy might wind up as a reliever. Right. Uh, and there's some guys who think Bradley might have the better chance to start than any of these guys.
1: That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. I would not think that over uh, – for people taking him over Cole. But there is some history, I think, there with Garrett Cole that it's taken some time, I think, for Garrett Cole to shake people off of the impression he left them with in high school. I mean, he was – I think that's high. very
2: fair. I mean, I, I think – I think some of the criticisms of, of Cole were more at you know, more regarding what he was coming out of high school as a senior then what? Then what? Yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's like a lot of kids. I mean, you're, there are a lot of immature teenagers. I've got two of them in my own house. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: they're available if anybody wants to draft them. But uh, uh, you know, Garrett Cole's grown up. You know, in two years at UCLA, and I, you know, you always used to hear you know didn't like his mechanics or his command or his makeup, and I think he's made strides in all those areas. I mean, Cole is clearly the top pitcher in this draft right now, even though we have several pitchers lined up behind him. I think just like Rendon is clearly the top hitter. Cole's clearly the top pitcher, and then I think everybody else is in the discussion.
3: I think Jim makes a a good point with Garrett Cole kind of growing up at UCLA. I saw him pitch in high school his senior year. I went out to California and saw him just flat-out dominate. So you could see the talent, but in talking to him, you could see the cockiness, you could see the attitude, and the, you know, it's all about me type thing. And then I think going to UCLA has been You know, a great decision. I was like, oh, he turned down all that money from the Yankees, this or that. That's his favorite team. It was a great decision because he was able to get into that college environment and really grow as a person. When I read Aaron's article about Garrett Cole, it sounded like a a completely different person in terms of personality. And then, like Jim said, with the mechanics and the stuff, you know, I saw all of it when he was in high school. And the mechanics kind of concerned you because it looked like a max effort. Now he's just really strong. And, you know, it's not completely effortless for him. There's maybe be a little bit in there, but it's not as bad as it was when he was a senior. So he's really ironed out a lot of things from his personality to his right. mechanics. His stuff is better. I mean, you talk about making a great decision and turning down first-round money and going to college. I mean, Garrett Cole did it, you know, right. in hindsight's twenty twenty, 20 but it's helped
1: him. I think a lot of times when we have players like that, we give a lot of credit to you know, college. We'll give credit to John Savage, whoever the coach is in those in those situations. We're going to give the kid a lot of credit for making a gutsy decision like that. And, Absolutely. And then making the most of that situation, not just uh, he hasn't made any excuses. And not only has he made himself into a great prospect, he got into Omaha last year, you know, pitched his team within uh, two wins of a national championship. He's done a lot of great things. Uh, I think the kid's to be commended for that. Uh, Connor and Nathan, uh, personal cheese balls. Connor, you could start. I mean, uh, who's your guy? Who's your, your pick to click this year?
0: <clears throat> well, I'm a little hesitant just because he's um not the not the biggest profile guy he's right right okay uh and the new bats may hurt him but he's done it with wood but my ultimate personal cheese ball and this is a little bit of a deep cut but taylor art at washington i'm, I'm glad that he's <laughs> your guy good that's good uh i mean i wrote him up pretty good out of uh mount hood community college and then he didn't get drafted and then he went out in the summer and just raked in the west coast league and I think some scouts out there were kind of kicking themselves for not giving this guy a little bit longer of a look in college, but um and then he was supposed to go to Oregon State and then ended up at at Washington State and then got hurt. So he you know, went back to Mount Hood last year and, and did it again and um but now he's at Washington State and he, you know, he's he's got some tremendous power. So we'll see if it translates. He's done it with woods. so we'll see if it translates to the new bats, but he's definitely So it hasn't gone uh, smoothly.
1: But hasn't gone smoothly. But it's, if it's in there, it's in there.
0: Yeah, but we'll see.
1: He's kind of the prototypical personal cheese ball. Uh, he is absolutely. You like him for no good reason. Not not, not no right. <laughs> Not even for no good reason. You like him more than you know you should. Yeah, that's, that's how that's, I feel about that's kind those the of the Farm cheese balls. Ball, right? Exactly.
3: Who you got there, Nathan? Well, I'm going to refrain from talking about two of my favorite players in Nicky Delmonico and Tyler Beatty because they're in our top 50 in the early draft preview. So, you know, we know about those guys. Nicky, Del, Nicky Delmonico is interesting, though, because he's, he's very like, interesting. He's like, you know, his brother kind of became a prospect when he became
1: mm-hmm. a catcher. And here's a guy who figured it out a little bit earlier. Hey, maybe I should go behind the dish. Yep. And uh, he also has more power than his brothers.
3: So. He does. And he can hit. And if he don't, doesn't work out behind the dish, he's athletic enough for third base, I think, or right field. Right. You know, the bat really is a big deal for him. But if he can catch, it makes him a lot better. But I'm going to go off the board a little, and because, you know, the left-handers are thin, I think this guy might come up a little higher when it's all said and done, is Cody Cookuck. He's a left-hander from Kansas. He's not the best guy in Kansas this year because there's some guy named Buck Starling. Right. But I saw him pitch at the Tournament of Stars. For a high school guy, he's got really good command, and he's got a bevy of pitches. He works with a four-seam fastball, two-seam fastball, change-up curveball, and he's, you know, messing with a slider. And he just locates all of the pitches, and he has a plan up there. You know, I talked to him after his game, and he just knows how he wants to attack hitters every time they come up. So he's got the mental side of it. He's got the stuff. He's got a great frame, too. It's six four, one eighty five. 185. So for a left-hander to have that kind of thing, especially when the left-handers are thin this year, because after Henry Owens and Daniel Morris, you know, who are we looking at? The high school same. left-handers are thin. So Cody Cookuck is, I guess, a cheese ball of mine, and I've been on him since June, so it we'll see been. how that turns out.
1: Plus his last name is a palindrome. It is, is. Ours, it is. It is a palindrome. Extra extra, uh, extra help uh, of, of, of making him a personal favorite. Uh, I've always liked Taylor Cole. I liked him way too much out of high school. Was he a Bishop Gorman? I forget, in Vegas area. Uh, then he went to uh, JC of Southern Nevada for a year, was in our top 200 again and he went on his LDS mission. Now he's back at BYU. Um I've always gotten a little overheated probably on uh guys who can throw a break and ball can spin a breaking ball at altitude. See Taylor sample. See all time <laughs> personal cheese ball Stephen Fife. Um that was another <laughs> that's why I ran Stephen Fife up our list so high. So um but Taylor Cole's a little guy with a quick arm and spins a breaking ball. And uh if he shows some field of pitch this year, he's always been athletic as well. So I'm fascinated by guys by a guy coming off his LDS mission. And the one guy who's been successful doing that was Jeremy Guthrie, another all-time personal favorite. And that's who convinced Taylor Cole to go ahead and go on his mission and not sign out of pro ball at high school. So he's going to be fascinating to watch. Him and Garrett Nash, who's at Oregon State. I'll be fascinated. We had a feature on those guys in the college preview by uh, former BA intern Bubba Brown. I'll be really interested to see how that pans out for Taylor Cole, but I've always liked him. I've always liked that profile of his stuff, the quick arm, the athleticism. Uh, we'll see what happens. Kind of always thought of him as kind of a junior Roy Oswald kind of guy. Uh, for podcasts, we do take your questions. Podcast at BaseballAmerica.com if you want to send them. Uh, Aaron Fitt and I will have a, uh, our, start our weekly college podcast on Monday. Uh, Connor's got a question from a longtime uh Uh, I think B.A. is his personal cheese ball, Joe (laughs) LaCase, who uh, uh, emails the show a lot. What was Joe's question there, uh, Connor?
0: All right. Can you recall a pitcher at such a young age with stuff as electric as Lance McCullers?
1: Speaking of cheese balls.
0: (laughs) How how special does he have a chance to be? Is there any concern with future arm trouble with someone that young, throwing that hard, or are his mechanics sound enough? I wanted to ask, you know, pose this question to you, John, and, and Jim, since you guys have been doing this longer, but, I mean, McCullers... You know, is is a 2012 prospect, but we've seen him, you know, this summer, we've seen him up to 97 miles an hour. So do you guys recall any other pitchers, you know, throwing that hard, that young in high school? As high school juniors?
2: the guy who jumps to mind for me a high school junior who scouts would have loved to take in the first round is matt white yeah <laughs> which is maybe not the best uh, uh omen for, for lance mccullers but i mean matt white was you know some guys thought the best high school pitcher ever and if you could have drafted him in the summer of 96 he would have been a first round pick then. in 95 because
1: 96 um, is when he was drafted
2: right right i'm sorry yeah because he was one of the loophole free agents and and I do, I mean, not in particular with McCuller's mechanics, but just in general, when a guy's stuff is that good, that young, I do sometimes wonder, you know, is, yeah. is a 16, 17-year-old arm really designed to to hold up, you know, throwing that kind of stuff, Uh I think it's a concern a little bit in the back of people's minds. You know, not with McCullough specifically, but just in general. I mean, when a guy's White, arm is that good, that quick, is it too much?
1: Matt White, was, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but as a high school senior. That's back when they were not professionals in international baseball. So the '96 Olympics, didn't he almost make the college Olympic team that year?
2: No, I don't. I don't think that was the case, and he. I don't even remember him being invited. To yeah, the tryouts, so I don't it. think the only on high school that. player I can remember really <laughs> pushing for that team was A. Rod, and then there was a dispute over. At that point, Topps was making Team USA subsets as part of their their baseball cards, and there was a dispute over what A. Rod's card rights were worth. And I think so you're so mixing up 92 and 96. USA because of that.
1: Well, A. Rod was 92 Olympics. Right. Matt White would have been 96.
2: Well, A. Rod would A. Rod would have been on the 93 summer team. He, well, he was on the Olympic team, but I, I don't think Matt White was part of that because that Olympic team was a two-year deal where they had many carryovers from, you know, they set it up to be kind of a two-year program. And most of the players on that team were on the team in 95 as well. I, I don't think Matt White was part of the Olympic process. He,
1: he did dominate that 95 world junior tournament that Steve right. Cohen coached up in uh, Fenway, right? With Brad Wilkerson yes. on the team as well. So Nathan was going to weigh in on the McCullough thing. He had a pitched,
3: a ton. He really I hasn't. Think... I mean, I've seen him uh, pitch every year at least once since the fall of his freshman year, and I've just seen the stuff steadily get better. I mean, it was pretty darn good when he was a freshman, and now it's just you know mind-boggling. But he hasn't pitched a whole lot. He goes to a good program uh, at Jesuit High in Tampa. Which his dad where was drafted out of the his, first round. His dad of was overall. drafted out of there, uh, and his pitching coach is uh, Jeff Getz who was also probably, a first-rounder first and probably knows a thing or two about trying to keep arms healthy. Yeah, because he, did, so, he didn't. <laughs> exactly. So he actually hasn't started for Jesuit uh, his first two years of high school. He's working his way into the rotation now. So his innings have been limited by his high school coaches, which is great. And his dad's had some influence on that. But the good thing there is the dad hasn't been overbearing. They have all worked together, which I think is what needs to be done. You can't have the – You know, the dad restricting his son and, you know, telling the coaches what to do. You need to let the coaches coach, but the coaches also do need to work with the family to work in the best interests of the player. And for McCullers, they've done that. Now, of course, he has thrown on uh, on showcases, but he never throws more than a couple innings like most guys at showcases. So I don't think he's spent as many bullets as he could have in terms of having that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you you might have that in the back of your mind that you're worried because he's so good so soon. Right. But he hasn't had enough innings for me to really make me worse. I'm not dogging out Patrick Schuster or his
1: coaches, but it's not like he's out there throwing a uh, complete game, no hitter every, every exactly. start out right. like Schuster did that one year. That's not that's not why Patrick Schuster wasn't a bigger prospect. I mean, he was a slight 80-mile-an-hour you know, lefty. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 exactly. But, it's totally different. But if this guy had already thrown like four or five no-hitters in high school, mm-hmm. he'd almost be worried because he's throwing so hard, he's going to be missing a lot of bats, striking out a lot of guys that – you're going to rack up pitch counts. Obviously, Lance McCullers Jr., a favorite of mine because Lance McCullers Sr. was a great uh, retro fantasy league player of mine. But uh, Lance McCullers Jr. reminds me a lot, actually, of uh, Kyle Drabeck. Kyle Drabeck was also undersized right-hander, also out son of a big leaguer, outstanding athlete, didn't just pitch in high school, and was precocious. You know, was, at a, was one of the best players at a showcase when he was 14, 15 years old, hellacious breaking ball. I'm not sure Lance McCullers Jr. spins it quite like Kyle Drebeck, but as I recall, his breaking ball is pretty filthy. It's nasty. So I think, he, I think McCullers Jr. throws harder than Kyle Drebeck, but um, those two guys remind me a little bit. Another guy who pops to mind was I, I do remember in 1998 we did a feature on Chris George at a high school in Texas being a big deal and that he wasn't even as big a deal as high school junior Josh Beckett, and that people wished that Beckett had been eligible and Beckett was the same age, but he'd been held back a year or something. So for some reason, he was an 18-year-old high school junior, should have been a 19-year-old. I think Jeremy Bonderman had some similar buzz and, of course, did come out like a year early out of high school. Right, Jim? Jeremy Bonderman? He did.
2: I, mean, I don't think – I mean, he did. He got a GED. I don't think he was considered on that Beckett white.
1: No, uh, but he was a guy that there level, was a lot of buzz He did come out. He's,
2: he, he came out. uh, You know, early because he was old enough and he got the GED rather than wait another year.
1: Right, right. But a good question again from Joe. As usual, we get a lot of those. But, uh, Jim, are you going to a game today or no? No college baseball opening day for you today?
2: Uh, well, we can see the grass outside here uh, in uh, the Chicago area. You know, the snow has melted, but uh, I don't believe any of the local teams are scheduled home games for February 18th.
1: I didn't think so, but uh, we'll be out and about today, so you'll follow us all on Twitter, uh all during the college baseball and draft season, obviously. Uh, Jim's over 8,000 followers. We need some of those to, to trickle down. We need some trickle-down Twitter economics.
2: I retweeted wrestling. all you guys. I, I ff you guys today.
1: That's good. You <laughs> I hear you, you guys every Friday. You're consistent. Sometimes yeah, I think you've woken me up with early follow Fridays on my phone. So, <laughs> so we appreciate it. But we'll be back throughout the spring with more draft podcasts. Obviously, we all have a little bit of draft fever. And uh, the only uh, cure for that is is more games and more draft podcasts. So for Nathan Rohde. That's, well, I was leaving that unsaid, but uh, thanks for that, Jim. <laughs> for Jim Callis, Connor Glassie, and Nathan Rody, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight,
0: you deserve an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward.